Thank you, worship team. Thank you for that last song. It's a perfect introduction to the new year and to our sermon series today. Um, if you have children, uh, kindergarten through third grade, they can dismiss out the back for Children's Church uh, with Miss Melody. If you have children that are older than that and are staying with us and would like to follow along with the sermon, there are, there's a sermon notes designed for children um, on the back table. If they do that and survive the sermon, they can come see me afterwards and I'll have um, a piece of candy uh, for them. Uh, so today, Christmas is over, uh, so we are starting a new sermon series that I'm excited about. Uh, beginning today, we're going to start begin to study our way through the uh, stories of the exile, uh, and primarily in the book of Daniel. Uh, we are also going to be visiting a few passages out of the book of Jeremiah, uh, and Jeremiah provides a, a parallel account uh, to, to the, that time in history of what was going on um, in Daniel. Um, so if you've been around church, you likely are familiar with some stories about Daniel. You know of Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, you probably know of the fiery furnace. Uh, you might even remember the king that suffers from uh, boanthropy, and he acts as if he's a cow. Um, and we're going to get to all those stories. Um, but the amazing thing about the book of Daniel is its relevance to our lives and the call on our lives today. The book of Daniel is unique in that it isn't written from the friendly confines of Israel, but it takes place almost exclusively in the hostile land of Babylon. And the primary purpose of the book of Daniel is to shed light on how we are called to live in a dark and hostile environment. And it is that theme that will motivate us uh, as we walk our way through the book and through this series. Daniel 12.3 is an awesome verse that kind of summarizes this whole theme. It reads, Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. Because like Daniel, we don't primarily live out our lives in the comforts of the church or a society that revolves around our Christian beliefs. But we primarily live our lives out in the world, in the workplace, in the schools, on the ball fields, which are not going to inherently share our values. So how do we do that? What, what is our calling within that? And that's what the book of Daniel is going to seek to answer. And that's what we are going to see in this verse. Our call as followers of Jesus is to live in the wisdom of the Bible. And as we live in that wisdom, we will look so different from the world that we will shine like stars, it says. And as we do that, we seek to lead many around us to righteousness, which we know is found in Jesus alone. I love that. Our job as we live in this world is to simply love God and lead others to righteousness in Jesus. Our call isn't to overthrow governments. Our job isn't to conquer the world. Our job isn't some political platitude, but our job is simply to love God and point others around us to Jesus. In fact, what we will see over and over in this book is that God uses the simple obedience of these men to change the culture and change the world around them. They don't sit on rooftops and yell at the culture that they're going to hell. They just simply obey God in their actions and in that point people to God when they have the opportunity. I think there's too many Christians in our society that rail against the world, yet fail to live out the truths of the Bible in their own lives. And so that's the call that we're going to introduce today and see throughout this series at different times and in different ways. So today, in many ways, we're going to visit chapter 1, but it's also going to kind of serve as an introduction to this theme uh, and to the stories we will see. Uh, an introduction to the setting and the mission that God lays out for Daniel and for us. 
And as we start the series, I just want to quickly just give thanks and credit to some people that have influenced uh, my study and my preparation. Uh, those would be David Guzik, David Helm, Jim Shaddix, Sidney Greedness, and Drady Greer, who have done uh, great work on the book of Daniel, which has helped me uh, kind of process and develop this series. So we're in Daniel chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. It reads, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Uh, so let's get some context of what's going on here. Uh, king Jehoiakim was Judah's 19th king after King David. Uh, and like so many of the other kings, he continued to lead them down a path of disobedience and unbelief before God. Is that my mic? Or? I don't know what's going on. All right. Um, I don't know where the hand mic went. Sometimes it's the one that causes problems. Uh, sorry. Uh, so uh, the context of what's going on, King Jehoiakim was uh, Judah's 19th king after King David. Um, and after King David, so many of the kings led them down a path of disobedience and unbelief before God. And God again and again warned the nation of Israel that if they continued to disobey, that he would send them into exile. And they continue to disobey in the face of God's patience. And he keeps his promise here in 605 B.C. And Babylon comes and besieges them. Verse 3, it says, Then the king ordered Ashaphaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. So the Babylonians invade, and the king of Babylon, and what was a regular practice in that day, took the best of the best to come back with him and serve him. He took these young men back to Babylon to train them in the ways, the beliefs, the practices, the traditions of the Babylonians. Uh, but who are the Babylonians? Well, the Babylonians in the Bible, in this specific case, it's talking about a nation. Uh, but there's also great symbolism associated with Babylon throughout the Bible. Specifically here, Babylon refers to the kingdom in the 6th century B.C., which is located in modern-day Iraq. But Babylon is used throughout uh, the whole of the Bible. In the New Testament, Babylon referred uh, not to this nation, but it was a code name for Rome. Uh, in the book of Revelation, Babylon refers to the world, the worldly systems that are in opposition uh, to Jesus. Uh, so the term Babylon in the Bible is a term for the spiritual kingdom at work in secular powers uh, that go against uh, God. In this case, it's the specific nation. Uh, in the New Testament, it's referring to Rome. Uh, and then in Revelation, it's talking just in general. But here's the deal. Most of you, like Daniel and his friends, are called to live out your lives, your mission to serve and lead people to Jesus in the world or in Babylon. We work, play, out, play, live out our lives in Babylon. And that's why the, the book of Daniel serves as a manual, not how, not how to only survive, but how to thrive, shine, and have an impact for God in the world. So that's what we're going to see uh, throughout this series. What does faithfulness to God look like as we live out our lives in the secular world? Uh, so let's look at how this plays out in chapter 1 in the lives uh, of Daniel. 
uh, verse 5, it says, The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, uh, new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. And so, uh, so these guys, uh, I mean, they, this is quite a beginning. They are, their nation is invaded. They are taken off to live in service to a foreign enemy nation. Verse 3 says they are put under the authority of the chief eunuch, which means they too would have become eunuchs. Uh, and in a culture where passing on your line was the chief importance, that's taken away in an instant. Uh, in addition, history tells us the men taken into these type of programs would have been teenagers, 14 to 17 years old. I mean, you think about when most of us were in high school, uh, our primary concern was who we were going to take the next dance, where we were going to go to college, or the next ball game. But these young men have everything taken from them. And they're taken to an enemy nation to serve an enemy government. In addition to all that, their identities and names are taken away. Their names are changed from names that point to the glory of their God, Yahweh, to names that speak praise to Nebuchadnezzar and his gods. Look at this. It says, Daniel, his name means God is my judge. It's changed to Belshazzar, which means Baal protects the king. Hananiah's name means God is gracious. It is changed to Shadrach, which means under the command of Aku, which was the moon god. Mishael, his name means there is none like our God. He has changed to Meshach, which means there is none like Aku. Azariah means God has helped me. Abednego means the servant of Nebo, who is the Babylonian God of wisdom. So the faith we are going to see from these young men today and throughout this study is, ama is amazing. And it serves as a testimony. It serves as an encouragement that we too can live out our faith in the world. I mean, just think about their lives. These are high school-aged boys that watched their homeland invaded. They watched their family members be killed. They watched their temple desecrated. They watched their futures as husbands and fathers destroyed. And then their names are changed to give praise to a foreign deity. I think we so often like to believe that our world is facing challenges we have never seen before. That our world is spiraling out of control. And it is, but let's be reminded that God has always called his people to live out their faith in the midst of difficult situations. And I don't know everyone here's situation, but I would wager to guess that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah's circumstances are equal to, if not more difficult than what we are facing today. So again, let's see what faithfulness looks like. I'm going to read verse 5 and 8. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were to enter the king's service. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. All right, that seems a little weird to us, but the, the royal food that they would have been served would have included things uh, forbidden by the Torah for Israelites. And worse than that, it would have included foods that would have already been sacrificed to the gods of Babylon. And for the first time in their faith, the teachings of Scripture that they know and follow are in conflict with the belief and the instruction of the culture they're living in. So the question was, what would they do? Well, what they do is they make an audacious request for a new menu, and they make that request to the chief official and ultimately to the king. Now, these three men, when this conflict came up, they could have pouted and just refused to eat. 
They could have stood up on the table and condemned the Babylonians, but instead they take their concern to the proper authority. They have so much faith in God that they don't just take matters into their own hands and try to control it on their own, but they trust that God is sovereign even over the authorities of the nations. So often when we are frustrated or when we have conflict, we do all that we can to control the circumstances and take matters into our own hands. We often refuse to deal with the proper authorities. And as we do that, we fail to trust God. And so one of the things we see here is that how we stand for truth is often just as important as the truth we stand for. Verse 9. It says, Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of the Lord, the, of my Lord, my Lord the king who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other men your age? The king would have, the, have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief of official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, and Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in the whole kingdom. Those are the wise men, if you remember back to that sermon. Verse 21, and Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you uh, for the example that we have in the book of Daniel of what it looks like to live for you uh, in a world that does not follow you. And God, I pray that as we walk through uh, this passage, as we study what the Bible says about this, Lord, that we, would, uh, that we would see the ways in which we have began to follow the world as opposed to you. God, I pray that you would reveal those things to us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength and the courage to, to live our lives um, trusting in you. Live our lives according to uh, the scripture and according to your values. And God, I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, God, I pray that they would know the grace and the forgiveness and righteousness that is available in you alone. So, Lord, I pray that you would just open our hearts and our minds to your truth today as we study your word. It's your name we pray. Amen. All right. So these men stood up for what they knew the scriptures said were true, and they put their faith and practice uh, in, into trusting that God's ways were better. And so our first point today and kind of the overarching theme for today and, and really this sermon series is that to shine for Jesus in Babylon or in the world, um, our lives must look different. If we want to shine, then our lives must and will look different. And when I say look different, I mean they will look different because we follow the values and instruction of the Bible as opposed to the world. And the values of the Bible will look different than every culture on earth. 
And just to be clear, and we're going to expound on this throughout this series, but different means living different, not just being obnoxious. Christians aren't called to look different solely through their bumper stickers or through the posts they share on Facebook and Twitter. But Christians are called to look primarily, to primarily look different by the way they live their lives. Facebook posts are easy, but taking your cues and living your life in accordance with the teachings and values of the Bible is much more difficult, but also shines infinitely brighter. That leads to our next point, and that is that we shine in Babylon, or we shine in the world, by living according to biblical values. Now, in our story, it was food laws that was issued, but for us, food laws are likely not going to be the primary way our lives look different than the world. Uh, today, the government is not forcing you to eat food sacrificed to Hindu gods, nor is it even forcing you to eat unhealthy foods. But there are a lot of cultural norms today that do fly in contrast to the teachings of the Bible. And those cultural norms that are different are opportunities for our lives to shine, just as Daniel and his friends' lives shine for God in Babylon. Now, there are a lot of ways that our lives should look different than the rest of the world, and, and we can't cover all those today. Uh, but St. Augustine, he is uh, credited with this saying where he said that there are three areas in which Christians' lives should look different than that of Babylon or the world. And those three areas that he said were the way we relate with money, the way we relate with sex, and the way we relate with power. And so we're going to just briefly look at those three areas and how our lives following the Bible should look different than that of the world. So the first one Augustine lays out is money. Babylon, the world, approaches money from the mindset and the goal of acquisition. The goal of the world is to get all the money you can get, keep all that you can, and spend all of it on yourself and your people. Babylon, the world, approaches money believing that it is the key to the good life. But the Bible teaches something dramatically different. Jesus talks about money second only to the kingdom of heaven in the New Testament. And the Bible teaches that money is not something to devote our lives to acquire, but that instead money is a gift from God entrusted for us to use and to leverage for the advancement of God's kingdom. And within that, the Bible kind of lays out three big principles uh, on money that are dramatically different than the world. And if you follow these principles and the Bible's teachings, then your life will naturally look different. The first thing the Bible advises the Christian to do is, is simply not to go into debt. And it says, if you do, you should pay that debt back. Proverbs 22.7 says, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. That's not what the world teaches. One study I read said that 70 to 80% of Americans live above their means each week. And the average American carries $20,000 in personal debt, not including their mortgage. So while Babylon, the world, are living above their means, the Bible advises us to live within our means and more. The second thing the Bible's wisdom advises us to do is to save some of what we have for the future. Proverbs tells us that a wise man saves. The wise man saves for future emergencies, for retirement, for education, for the future. And so while the world says spend every penny you have and beyond today, the Bible says to live within your means and set some aside for the future. And then the final the three of the three principles the Bible lays out is to be generous. The Bible says when we live our lives believing that our resources are a gift from God, it is only reasonable to give a portion back to God's kingdom so that others too might know of the hope of Jesus. The general starting point in the Bible for that is, is 
But it is safe to say that if we follow God's wisdom in the area of our money, then our lives are going to look different than the world. While the world lives the day-to-day above their means, the Bible calls us to live within our means, to set aside a portion for the future, and to give a portion of all we have back to God and his kingdom. That's hard, isn't it? Especially if you didn't grow up with this teaching. It's hard and can feel overwhelming if you find yourself in a, a great deal of debt today. It's hard when you have a spouse or a business partner who views money through the lens of the world and not the Bible. One of the things we long to offer in the future here at our church is a a financial peace class. Uh, Dave Ramsey is the creator of financial peace. He is a believer, and he's kind of laid out a plan that follows these three big basic principles uh, to help you get a better understanding and grasp of your finances. I know his teachings and his tools and his classes have been so beneficial for our family when it comes to the area of just kind of understanding and getting a grasp of our financial management. And so while we don't have a class on the calendar as of now, if you're like, this is me and I need help today, we do have a couple of options. First of all, the church has purchased Right Now Media, which is kind of like Christian Netflix uh, for any and all connected with the church. So if you don't have access to that, come and see me and I will get you access to that. But on that platform, there are multiple conferences and teachings by Dave Ramsey that kind of lay out the overarching principles uh, of his program. Uh, Those are also available on YouTube if you just want to YouTube it. And so if you're like, I'm here, and I just kind of want to get an understanding of what he's talking about or what his teachings are, that's where I would direct you to start. But if you're here today and you're like, I want the class, I want a budget, I want to make a plan, uh, then Dave Ramsey offers tools uh, that allow you to take financial peace online and begin uh, making a plan today. Uh, the cost of those tools uh, for the year is about $120. But if you're here and you're ready to do that but don't have the $120, come and see me after service and we will help you uh, get set up with that. Uh, they also offer teachings designed for older children and teens that can help them develop a biblically sound relationship with money from a young age. So that's the first one Augustine lays out. He says, our lives should look different from the world in the way we view uh, money, in the way we use our money. We believe it is a gift from God for us to steward. Because of that, we live within our means, we save for the future, and we give generously back to God and to help others out. The second way Augustine says our lives should look dramatically different from the world is how we interact uh, with sex. The world, and we see this every day, says that sex is all about me. It's all about what I can get and how I feel. The world says if something feels right or good, then it can't possibly be wrong. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that that sex is a gift from God to be used for God's purposes according to his design, which is within a covenant-based, lifelong marriage between a man and a woman. But if you live your life like that, if you live your life with that belief, you are going to look different than the world. But here's the deal. With both of these issues, if you live your life like this, God will bless it. And I don't mean that he's going to bless it and that you're going to be a multimillionaire or he will bring along the perfect spouse tomorrow. But what I mean is that he will bless you with a peace the world simply can't offer. You think about it, so many of our world's greatest stresses and anxieties revolve around these two issues. The leading cause of divorce in America are infidelity and finances. If you live your life in line with biblical values and the teachings, you will live a life of margin. You will live within your means. You will live a life that is free from the consequences of extramarital relations. You will live a life of faith and trust. When Daniel and his friends chose to trust God as opposed to the king, God blessed it, and he provided all that they needed. 
In the same way, when you trust God in these areas, he will provide all that you need, and he will provide a peace that the world simply cannot provide. One more thing on this before we move on. Like the area of money, there is a good possibility that there are some in this room today or watching online or really probably all of us who have lived a life in the area of sex that looks more like the world than the Bible. And what I want to do today is I want to encourage you today. And although there may be some consequences from that that you carry for the rest of your life, there is hope, there is righteousness, there is purity, and there is complete forgiveness available in Jesus for you. Jesus loves you. He came and gave his life for you. He paid the price for your sins. And if you have trusted him, then those sins have been removed as far as the east is from the west. If you have trusted Jesus, then you don't need to live in any guilt or shame for your past. It is completely and totally forgiven. When Jesus was nailed to that cross, he took your sins and my sins and he took them with him. He took each and every sin. There are no exceptions. And when he uttered that last word to tell us thy, which means it is finished, your sins were forgiven and they were washed away and they are completely and totally finished. So if that is you, I want you to know that you are loved, your sins are forgiven, and you don't need to walk in any more guilt or shame if you know Jesus. And if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, then please know that he loves you and he offers complete forgiveness to you today. The Bible says that all have sinned and that sin doesn't happen on scale. Some aren't worse than the others. And any sin separates us from God. And the consequence of that sin is eternal death separated from him. But the hope of the gospel, the hope of the Bible is that God in his love uh, sent Jesus to live the sinless life that you and I couldn't live. To be the substitute for our sin. To die on the cross, the consequence that your sin and my sin deserved. And then he rose victorious over the grave three days later. And he offers his eternal life, his righteousness, his purity to any and all that will trust him and follow after him. Jesus loves you and he offers forgiveness and it is available in him to you today if you will turn and trust him. That's the hope that we have as Christians. It's the hope that Daniel and his friends will proclaim throughout this book and it's the hope that we proclaim today. Our call is to shine and to lead people to righteousness and that righteousness is offered to all in Jesus alone. All right, last of the big three is power. The goal of Babylon and the goal of the world is to attain power to attain prestige, to attain recognition, and then exploit that power for your benefit. For some, power comes in the form of position. For some, it comes in beauty or talent. For some, it comes in a family name. But whatever it is, you press it and you use that to your advantage to exploit others and create opportunity and gain for yourself. That is contrasted with Jesus and the Christian who are called to see any power any giftings, any advantages, not as something to exploit, but as privileged gifts given by God to use for his kingdom, his benefit, and for the good of others. Power for the Christian is a gift, a responsibility given by God to be leveraged for his glory, to lift others up, and to lead them to righteousness, which is Jesus. Power for the Christian isn't something to be exploited for personal gain, but it's a gift, a responsibility by God to be used to help others and glorify God. So when the follower of Jesus finds themselves in power, the question isn't, what can I get from this gift? What can I get from this power? But instead, how can I use this position of power or privilege to lift others up 
and lead them to Jesus. That's a dramatic shift. And when we find ourselves in those positions and we live for God's glory and not our own, then we are going to look dramatically different than others in the same position. And I guarantee if you leverage your power for the good of others instead of yourself, then people will notice and they will be attracted to you. And our church is blessed with some people that are doing this and that are making a difference in this world in our community. And I know for you it is hard and it can be frustrating to see other people in similar roles that make it all about themselves and not others. But don't grow weary of doing good. Your commitment to use your power, uh, your gifts, your authority to benefit others is making a difference in people's lives. It's making a difference in the institutions you lead. And my prayer is that it is pointing people to righteousness, which is found in Jesus alone. Don't grow weary, but continue to use your power for the glory of God and the good of others. So as Christians, we shine like stars in this world, not through Facebook posts not through our political platforms, not by railing against society or culture, but we shine like stars for Jesus by living out the values and teachings and faith he has called us to. I guarantee if you follow Jesus with your money and the way you view sex and in the way you handle your power and prestige, then you will look different than the world. And the promise of this passage and the promise of the Bible is that God will use that to let you shine and to lead others to the hope that is only available in him. Jesus echoes this in John 17. In John 17, he prays for the disciples and he prays for every believer that will come. And he says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is the truth. For as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Friends, Jesus doesn't desire to remove us from the world. He doesn't desire for us to isolate ourselves from the world, but his desire is to protect us from the evil one and to send us into the world to shine like stars for him. We, the church, we as Christians, carry the hope of the world. We carry with us the good news of forgiveness and righteousness to all around us. This is hard. I know it's hard for me. It's hard to trust Jesus with our lives, with our children, with our money, in the area of relationships, with the talents, gifts, and power given to us. The world says to exploit those things, to do what is best for us and our family alone. But God says to use those things to to benefit others, to, to benefit his glory, and to lead as many as possible to righteousness and forgiveness in Jesus. So how do we do that? That's our next point. We follow God in Babylon by conforming to the Bible, not culture. If we want to follow God in this world, then we must be conformed by the Bible and not culture. That's what we see right here in this story. Daniel and his friends have a choice. Would they conform to culture, eat the food prepared by the king that they know goes against the Bible, or would they obey the Bible and trust God? Let me be clear, though. This is talking about instances where culture does not line up with the Bible. Daniel and his friends weren't people who were just looking to fight everything in the culture because they didn't like Babylon. That's not true. They, they learned the language of Babylon, it tells us. They took on Babylonian names. They served the king dutifully. They were well respected in the kingdom. These men conformed in every way they could that did not contradict the scriptures. And that's to be the same with us. We don't just rail against or stand up against most things in our culture. There is a lot of our culture that does not conflict with the Bible. We don't leave here looking for a fight each Sunday. But instead, we just stand up when culture 
contrasts the truths and values of the Bible. And here's the deal. We said it earlier, but the Bible is countercultural to every culture in history, but it's, diff- it's, but it's in different ways. In this specific story, it was food loss. Again, this is not going to be one that we likely run into. I mean, there's some application. We should take care of our bodies, but there is nobody forcing us to eat certain foods. But in our culture, we have other areas that, that don't line up with Scripture. We've talked about a bunch of those. Uh, two examples that we see all the time right now in our culture are in the area of sex and identity. The Bible, as we said earlier, says sex is intended for a marriage relationship between a man and a woman. And the Bible says that God has created us each individually with purpose, and he makes us male or female. This comes right away in Genesis 1, 27 through 28, and then it's reiterated many times throughout the book, throughout the Bible. But our culture questions that today. It pushes back on those two things. So how do we respond? Well, the primary way we respond is by following Scripture, by following the Bible and how we live our lives and how we teach our children and how we teach others. This is not a call to become a part of the Westboro Baptist and picket the world. But this is a call to love others that are different than us, to live out our faith in our own lives, to point people to Jesus. There are very few people that have come to faith in Jesus through people yelling at them, through people debating with them, through people damning them to hell. But a lot of people have come to Jesus when they were loved by someone different than them, when they were shown grace that they didn't deserve, when they saw others living differently than them, they saw the hope and the peace that they had in the Bible. We are called to follow the values of the Bible as we shine like stars in Babylon. But again, culture is constantly evolving, and the pressure points of today will likely be different than the pressure points 20, 30, 50 years from now. So we must know our Bible, and we must live out its values. One of the great tragedies of Western Christianity is that we have again and again failed out to live out the values of the Bible, and have instead conformed to the views of Babylon. We must know the Bible and live it out, not just talk about it. Okay, and that leads to our final thing I'll say on this. But this is, I think, might be the biggest issue in our church today. Uh, not our church, but our church, capital C Church. And that is that we must follow God in Babylon by conforming to the Bible and not politics. We must follow God not political parties and political platitudes and political issues. We are to stand for the values of the Bibles, not the values of politicians. And this goes on both sides of the aisles. I know churches and Christians in Portland and San Francisco whose views and values reflect that of the Democratic Party much more than they do that of the Bible. And the two have become so intertwined that you can't be a Christian if you're not a Democrat. And I know churches and Christians here in Wyoming and in Montana and Arkansas and across our nation whose views and values reflect the conservative Republican Party much more than they do that of the Bible. I know people that are much more concerned about their personal liberties and freedoms than they are the salvation of their neighbor. And I'm not saying politics are evil, that we shouldn't have opinions, that we shouldn't care, that we shouldn't vote, or that we shouldn't take a stand for what we believe. I have political opinions. You can trust me on that. You can ask my wife. But we must make sure that our guide is always the Bible first and not our politics. We must make sure when we are making a stand that it is of the Bible and not just our political party. We shine for Jesus in Babylon. We lead people to Jesus in Babylon, not through our politics, but by, the way, but by the way we live out the Bible, the way we love others, the way we serve others, 
and by pointing them to and sharing the hope of Jesus with others. We know this, but politicians will fail us again and again. Our hope doesn't rest in Democrats or Republicans. Our hope, our future, our eternity rests in Jesus alone. So as Christians, we must make sure that we are receiving our direction from the Bible first and foremost. So as we wrap up, if you're here today and you're not sure you know the Bible well enough to live it out, you don't know what it says, you don't know how to distinguish between what is right and wrong based on, based on the Bible, I would encourage you to start reading and listening to the Bible daily. Start learning. Download the Bible app or start watching a teaching series on Right Now Media. If you have specific questions about what the Bible says on a specific cultural issue, come and talk to me and I will point you in the direction of some great uh, biblical teaching on the issue. I might not have the answer, but I will help you find the answer of what the Bible says. And then one last thought. We do, not, we do not know what culture wars of the futures will be. There's no way to address in 30 minutes what all of the culture issues are in our culture. And so it's important that we don't just memorize one right answer, but that we learn to read the Bible for ourselves. We learn to apply it correctly in our lives. We do this every week at small group, at our kids and youth classes. We open the Bible, we read and talk about it, and then we apply it to what is going on in our lives. So if you want help in navigating what is going on around you or teaching your kids to navigate the world based on the Bible, I would encourage you to get involved in one of those Bible studies. So how did the captives survive in Babylon? They survived by learning the culture, by serving others, by being excellent at their work, by praying and trusting God and maintaining their integrity. They followed the rules of culture until they broke God's laws. And then they respectfully followed the Bible in areas of difference. Daniel and his friends in chapter 1 were taken from their homeland. They were taken from their families. They had their futures altered in a dramatic way. And then they were left with a choice. Would they conform to Babylon or would they live out their faith in Babylon? They chose to trust God and live out their faith. And God blessed them in the midst of it. So what's your choice? What's our choice? And maybe better, what, is, what does your life say your choice is? In the areas of these specific, money, sex, power, does your life look more like the world or does it look like the Bible? Have you turned those areas over to God or are you trusting yourself in those areas? Melinda's going to come and she's going to play and when she does, we're just going to take a chance, a moment to bow uh, and just deal with God. But if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, my question for you is, what is God calling you to do? What is he leading you to turn over to him? And I would encourage you that as she plays and as we pray, uh, that you would turn it over to him in prayer. But I would also encourage you to not stop there, but to take a practical step to tangibly turn that area over to God. Tell a friend. Ask them to hold you accountable. Ask for help. Sign up for something that can help you in the area. Begin reading the Bible and learning what it says. Whatever it is, turn it over to God in prayer and then act on that conviction. Then lastly, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know first and foremost that Jesus loves you. That he offers forgiveness and righteousness and eternal life if you will turn to him today. The Bible says you can surrender your life simply today with a surrendered heart. You can pray something as simple as, God, I know that I have sinned and gone against you. But I also know that you sent Jesus in your love to pay for my sins. God, today I want to receive that forgiveness, that righteousness. And I want to show my thanks by following you all the days of my life. The Bible says you pray something as simple as that with a surrendered heart. And he is faithful to forgive you completely.
and you will spend eternity with him in heaven. So that's you. Will you surrender your life today? So Melinda's going to play. I'd ask us all to bow our heads, to pray, and just to deal with what it is that God is teaching us today. Lord, we um, thank you for this example we have in Daniel. God, we thank you that you have laid out ways and instruction that is better than that of the world. God, we thank you that you uh, provide all that we need. Lord, we thank you first and foremost and most of all that you have provided a way for us to be forgiven, for us to be made righteous, for us to be made pure in your sight. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the hope the eternal hope, the eternal life we have in you. And God, we pray today that you would help us as we leave this building to shine for you. We pray that people would notice that we are different, that they would notice the hope and the peace we have even in difficult circumstances. God, we pray that you would let us shine and that you would use that as opportunity for us to point others to the hope they have in you. God, that others might experience righteousness in you. God, I pray that we would be a people that shine like stars in Babylon, and that we would be a people that point many to righteousness in you. God, we love you, and we praise you, and it's your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, I have just a few announcements uh, for us. Uh, the nursery child care schedule is on that back table if you haven't got it. Uh, and if you're not on that schedule and you'd like to serve in that way, um, you can talk with me or you can talk with my wife, Melody, and we will get you on there. Um, small group uh, happens here at the church from 6 to 7. Um, generally, there's Bible teaching activities for kids during that time. Uh, this week, my kids are sick, and my wife provides that usually. Uh, so uh, let me know if you need that. Uh, otherwise, that probably won't be there tonight. But come and talk with me. Don't let that stop you from coming. Uh, youth group and kids night happen on Wednesday nights. They are from 6 to 7. Again, if you have questions about that, uh, you can come and talk with me or Melody or Mr. Justin. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, thank you for us uh, joining us as we start this series. I promise I won't be as up in your business every week uh, in this series, but it's going to be good, and I'm excited for it, and uh, thank you for being here. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.